from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, so glad you've tuned in for this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. We are broadcasting today, tomorrow, and Friday from the site of the Prevote Stand Summit, First Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia. If you're attending the summit, well, you can be a part of the live audience for Washington Watch. We already have some attendees who are here for the summit, which begins tonight at 7 p.m. A little later, you're going to get a preview of tonight when I'm joined by Dr. Al Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and we'll also be joined by Pastor Gary Hamrick, senior pastor Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, who, by the way, was the host of last year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. They'll join me later here on Washington Watch. If you're listening on one of our many stations here in Georgia, maybe Alabama, Mississippi, or Tennessee, guess what? There's still time to come and be a part of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. If you can't make it, though, right here to the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, you can still join us virtually. Tune in at 7 p.m. Eastern Time beginning tonight. Go to prayvotestand.org and you can join us. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch, are the policy actions of the Biden administration, like the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, addressing the nation's economic ailments or inflaming them? We just had the worst 12 months for both food, inflation, and electricity since the fallout from the Carter administration. President Biden and our Democratic colleagues chose to celebrate, celebrate, this awful inflation report with a so-called inflation reduction party yesterday at the White House. That was Republican leader Mitch McConnell earlier today on the Senate floor. The White House clearly looking to draw a smiley face on yesterday's bad economic numbers. CPI data show more progress in bringing global inflation down here at home, thanks in part to the president's actions and the fastest decline in gas prices in a decade. That was White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. We'll talk about this with Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, in just a moment. And Congress is poised to help strengthen Taiwan in the looming confrontation with China. Are they taking the right steps at the right time? We'll be joined by another one of our speakers here at the Prevote Stand Summit. Asian expert Gordon Chang joins me a little later. And Senate Democrat Leader Chuck Schumer was on the Senate floor earlier today bullying Republicans to vote for the quote-unquote Respect Marriage Act. There are some dark forces encapsulated and embodied in the MAGA Republicans, so many of whom are in this chamber, who want to take steps backward. We're not going to let it happen. We shouldn't let it happen. So I truly hope, for the sake of tens of millions of Americans that there will be at least 10 Republicans who will vote with us to pass this very, very important bill. Well, it's well established that this measure pushed by Democrats that would codify into law what the Supreme Court did in the Obergefell decision will lead to an acceleration of attacks on religious freedom in America. But Katie Faust, founder of Them Before Us, says the redefinition of marriage is an issue of social justice for children. She joins me later to explain. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, let me uh, turn your attention to PrayVoteStand.org, where you can be a part of this year's PrayVoteStand Summit. 
The word for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in Proverbs chapter 29. It's verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man and the challenges that we often face in life are overcome by our confidence in God. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. See, the reasons for, or the reason for their boldness is their relationship with God. When we can stand before God because our sins have been forgiven through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that gives us the courage we need to stand boldly for truth before mere men, no matter their rank or their power. Well, I invite you to join us on our journey through the Word. Stand on the Word. You, you can actually download the reading plan by going to TonyPerkins.com, and each morning you can join me for a short devotional online. Again, that can be found at TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, the White House threw a pep rally to celebrate the Inflation Reduction Act, better known as their latest $700 billion spending spree. One minor problem, it was the same day that the Consumer Price Index showed that prices for all items continued to creep up for Americans, logging an increase of 8.3% over last year. To make matters worse, the stock market took its worst beating in more than two years when the COVID first became a pandemic. Republicans on the Hill are concerned that higher prices are here to stay. Can anything be done to provide relief to the average working American family? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Kevin Brady. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 8th District of the Lone Star State. Congressman Brady, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you, Tony. Thanks for having me. So let me just ask this. How tone deaf is the White House? They celebrated this Inflation Reduction Act on the very day that inflation numbers were released, showing that there was an increase and, of course, the stock market taking its worst beating in two years. Yeah. Can you, Tony, can you imagine this while a lot of families are skipping meals uh, and uh, delaying their retirement because of Joe Biden's cruel economy, mainly inflation? The White House and the president are celebrating partying at the White House uh, over their bill that won't cut inflation. Many people believe it will drive it even higher. So, look, I think uh, consumers took a couple big hits yesterday and today. Obviously, uh, prices are continuing to go up, especially with food, which is now, I think, at a 48 or 49-year high, and that's really crushing people. Core inflation is way higher than the economists expected. And this morning, we found out that inflation for businesses – that always end up later in higher prices is at uh, 8.7%, another huge number. So there's no question consumers, higher prices are here to say, I don't care what the president says, uh, we're in this uh, problem because of that spending and Democrats continue to do it, as you said, in this new $700 billion spending spree. So look, um, I know the president's trying to spin big, big, big victories, but back home with working families, they're just getting kicked in the gut. So, Congressman, let me ask you this question. You made reference to this, the core rate of consumer inflation. That's uh, a look at prices where we take out the most volatile, like fuel and such. That actually climbed from 5.9% to 6.3% in terms of increase. So that's quite significant. That's the number that a lot of people are looking at. Does that give us any indication of how entrenched inflation is in the U.S. economy? 
It does. And you're right for, for pointing out what core inflation may not be mean a lot when people hear it, but it really is without food and energy sort of cuts to the what's the real problem here in that that went up far higher and faster than economists projected. Uh, that's what drove the stock market down. But that's what I think drove back everyone's uh, knowledge now that uh, all this spin on inflation has peaked. It's temporary. It's going down now. It's just not the case. And I think, Tony, going forward, you're starting to see how expensive, you know, homes have been, how apartments have been, housing and all that, I think is finally starting to show up in the uh, in the consumer price index. That's going to drive higher prices for another year or so. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see higher energy prices going forward as well, especially as we enter the winter months. So there are predictions that the Federal Reserve, when they meet next week, will raise the prime interest rate a full percentage point. And before it's all over, we could see the prime rate as high as 4.75%. What impact will that have on the federal government that has to pay, really pay the interest on the growing debt that we have? Yeah, so uh, there's no question about it. The interest rates, you know, from the Federal Reserve have been so low almost zero for so long that um, I think it's artificially propped up the economy, certainly a uh, low lawmakers into thinking the costs of these big deficits aren't big, but now you're going to see the true costs of those and they are going to be staggering. How much of our federal budget goes to paying the debt because the interest rates are finally returning normal, but that's not, that's not the only pain. Certainly borrowing costs across the board for families and businesses are going to be painful. You know, uh, when you're on in a recession or on the verge of a recession, you know, because of inflation, the Federal Reserve is going to create a lot of pain to try to solve President Biden's problems here. And I really worry what that pain is going to be. The answer is to stop the additional spending, uh, get workers back to work. That's going to help with in inflation. Uh, but also, I think we need some frankly, some tax incentives to be able to allow businesses, not tax hikes under Joe Biden, but tax relief focused on the supply chain, empty shelves, driving down inflation. Well, you talk about the spending, and and that brings me to another question I want to ask. The Fed is raising rates to reduce spending to cool the economy. That's the whole reason of raising the interest rates. But at the same time, you have the Biden administration unilaterally releasing, you know, former students from student debt, uh, which could cost uh, up a, upwards to a trillion dollars. And then you have the so-called inflation reduction measure, which Democrats were celebrating yesterday, that, that puts another $700 billion into the economy. Aren't those two working in contradiction to one another? They are absolutely working against each other. The, the, the tone-deaf remark you, you, you made a moment ago fits there as well. You've got the Fed, uh, you know, trying to rein in the inflation, you, and you got Joe Biden and Democrats in Congress fueling it even further and then acting surprised when we have bad numbers like we did this week. And so, you know, look, I, I'm not sure anything the Fed can do will tame that without crushing pain on the economy. And that's what Democrats are doing, making it harder for this economy to return to normal and for inflation return to normal without real pain to, to, to families and small businesses. And they ought to be embarrassed. They shouldn't be celebrating. They should be embarrassed by their actions. 
Are these some of these policies, in fact, the taking the money out of the strategic oil reserve? I mean, you're from Texas. Oil is a big deal there. This is isn't this artificially driving down the price because we're not increasing production? Is this short term just to try to get us to the election and then the American people are going to feel the real pain after the election? Absolutely. You know, most of these are gimmicks to try to at least give the appearance of driving down energy prices. And the truth of the matter is, the only reason energy prices have gone down for two months in a row is demand has gone down. The prices are so high, people are not buying the fuel. They can't afford to do it. They're not traveling as much. So the recession-type approach is already starting to lower the the cost on energy. But because we're not producing more uh, here, and you just saw, again, the federal government's taking aim uh, at offshore drilling to, to try to stop or delay more drilling there. So you've got administration in the fundamentals, driving up prices in the long term, all in pursuit of this Green New Deal religion. Dangerous for the American people, as you've pointed out. Uh, Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. All right. Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. You got to keep your eyes on this. You know, the you got to go beyond the headlines. And they talk about reducing prices. Why are they being reduced? And how long? Even last weekend, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, suggested that these energy prices, gasoline prices in particular, could be shooting back up. Well, yeah. Absolutely, because we've not dealt with the underlying issue. All right, coming up, I'll be joined here in Atlanta by China expert Gordon Chang. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch from the site of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. And I have a real treat uh, this week as we are broadcasting live from the side of the Prevote Stand Summit. We actually have an audience. Now, you can't see them, but I can, but you can hear them. Let them know you're here. Yeah. We are uh, grateful to have uh, First Baptist Church at Atlanta, Georgia, hosting us here for the Prevote Stand Summit. You can find out more about that. It begins tonight at 7 p.m. Go to prevotestand.org. Well, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee this week taking a look at our policy as it pertains to Taiwan. It's a bipartisan bill that they're looking at aimed at increasing U.S. support for Taiwan. If passed and signed into law, it would give Taiwan nearly $4.5 billion in security aid, as well as help Taiwan counter Chinese coercion. One potential hang-up, the White House is concerned that the bill throws away 40 years of stated U.S. policy towards Taiwan. Join me now to discuss this and more. China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. You can find Gordon at Gordon G. Chang at, is it Gordon? Give me that. Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. That's right. That's what I always want to get that in there. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. And it's great to be in Atlanta with you. Yeah, and Gordon's going to be one of our speakers here at the Prevote Stand Summit, so be sure and tune in for that. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Taiwan and talk about uh, China and Russia. So let's talk about this with Taiwan. In, in the wake of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, the saber rattling over there, what would this measure do? Is this the right bill? Is it the right time? This is the right bill at the right time. It's not just the question of money. It also would designate Taiwan as a major non-NATO ally. That's important in terms of our defense. Also, it, it, negoti- it, it starts negotiations on a free trade bill, which is really important. We need to, Taiwan, to tie Taiwan and the United States closer together. But the, as you say, the administration doesn't like it. And that means it's probably a pretty good idea. You know, this is bipartisan. It's my senator, Bob Menendez, who's chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Lindsey Graham, and others. So let's talk uh, China-Russia. A meeting is going to be taking place between President Xi and and Vladimir Putin. How significant is that? It's important and it's significant because it comes at a time when Russia's war effort in Ukraine is failing and they obviously want Chinese support and China wants to bolster the relationship with Russia. And we found this out and this was really surprising. 
on Friday when China's third ranking leader went to Moscow and in terms that we have not heard before was fully in support of Russia's war effort in Ukraine, which means that China is doubling down on its failing partner, which means that this is a real sign of partnership between Moscow and Beijing. So what is in this for China? I mean, the economy of Russia is not that big and it's not that strong. Uh, as you said, the military is getting whooped by Ukraine. So what do they bring to the table for China? This is sort of really ominous because China and Russia want to take down the existing international system. They identify the same adversary, which is us. And so Xi Jinping, yes, he likes cheap oil from Russia, but the most important thing is that he has an ally to go after the United States and the rest of the international community. This means the world really has divided into camps, Tony, and that means that we have got to start defending ourselves. So, so Gordon, could it also be that China might be using Russia for diversion to take America's focus away from what China might be doing as it pertains to Taiwan and others? Yeah, this is the two-front struggle, which has now become a two-front war. Um, because China, you know, it's not just Taiwan. It's China has troops deep into Indian-controlled territory. They're trying to break apart the Philippines with that pressure on Second Thomas Shoal in the South China Sea, pressure on Japan in the East China Sea around the Senkakus, these very dangerous intercepts in the global commons in both on the surface of the sea and in the air. And one of those intercepts almost brought down an Australian plane on May 26. So this is really a time where China's pushing out. It's not just Taiwan. And of course, the United States, we know that our military under the policies of this administration, failing even to meet their recruiting goals, would have a hard time facing two conflicts. Yes. I mean, right now we're running out of equipment that we've been supplying to Ukraine. I mean, so we have an army right now that is desperately trying to restock itself. And and clearly we are at a point where, yes, we have a big military, but we've got even bigger commitments and we are stretched very thin. The Chinese know that. So, uh, Gordon, let me ask you this question. We see Russia. I'm concerned about Russia becoming desperate because, I mean, they're really being humiliated uh, on the national stage with Ukraine beating them. Is it possible that you could see Russia using some form of nuclear, whether it's tactical or larger, and China having their back? Well, Putin has already made threats to use his nukes. He did that on February 24th. He did it again on February 27th. He actually sorted his ballistic missile submarines and his land-based mobile missile launchers on March one. Um, so this is clearly something in the Russian playbook. And, uh, you know, you're talking about a desperate Putin. Um, he realizes if he loses, he could even lose his life. So, yes, why not do that from his perspective? So we are not really thinking about those things. And so from the Chinese perspective, he's kind of the crazy man that goes out there and does this, which advances their objective of the destabilization of the United States and the rest of the global economy and power structure. Yes, Putin is the person who is taking on the U.S. China loves this. And it also legitimizes China's threats to use its most destructive weapons, because beginning in July of last year, they started to threaten to nuke Japan. In September, they threatened to nuke Australia. They're going after us on March, uh, March 10th of this year. Uh, the Chinese military promised, quote unquote, worse consequences for anyone helping Taiwan. This is really dangerous. Both China and Russia, as well as North Korea, in addition, are threatening to use their most destructive weapons. Very quickly, because we're almost out of time and we'll have to continue this on our panel discussion. But when you look at China, Russia, 
America has some tools. This does. This is not inevitable. We could do something. We could do a lot. Uh, China really depends on the United States. Um, they need our markets, especially now that the Chinese economy is failing. So you know, we're supplying the money to yeah. China. We're enriching yeah. them, and we need to cut off the blood supply to those who mean us harm. You are absolutely right. I talk about that all the time. In fact, this mug. I'm not going to turn it over because it's got water in it. But underneath, made in the USA. Great. We need to make sure that everything we buy, we look at the label. Um, our family is well trained. We look at every label. If it says "Made in China," guess what? We put it back on the shelf. We're not going to buy. It. We're not going to be a part of fueling these tyrants. Gordon Chang, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Tony. All right, folks, stick around. More Washington Watch to come on the other side of the break as we take a look at this effort to redefine marriage. My next guest says it is a social justice issue for children. We talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more to come from the site of this year's Prevote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. So good to have you with us as we're broadcasting live from the site of the Prevote Stand Summit coming up tonight, beginning at 7 p.m. And you can tune in and you'll be able to hear my next guest. Before I introduce you, let me introduce her. Let me set the stage. Chuck Schumer and the Senate Democrats are desperate to bring a bill that they have, I think, deceptively titled the Respect for Marriage Act to a vote in the Senate. Now, I've encouraged you to contact your senators regarding the threat this would pose to religious freedom. And I've spoken to senators who said they've they've heard from you, but keep keep calling them. 
But there's more. This is not only a threat to religious freedom. It's also an assault on children and their longing for both a mother and a father. Joining me now to discuss this is Katie Faust. She's the founder and director of Them Before Us. Katie, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Before we jump into this bill that is Mm -hmm. right now before the Senate, Chuck Schumer talking about it again today on the Senate floor, share with our listeners briefly your story and why this is an issue for you. Yeah, well, it's an issue for me, uh, mainly because I've worked with kids for 20 years and I see the pain inflicted on them when they are separated or when they lose a relationship with their mother or father. And what the redefinition of marriage does is it insists, it normalizes, and it promotes motherless and fatherlessness. But also because so much of the motivation for the redefinition of marriage is bound up in language about phobia hatred, um, anti-gay rhetoric, right? That that's the only reason why you could support natural marriage. And that's a lie. That's a lie because everybody that I know who supports traditional marriage also loves gay people. We just believe kids need a mom and dad. And that's true for me. My mom has been in a relationship with her partner since I was 10, and I love her. And I love her partner. And loving them is absolutely not in conflict with recognizing that children need a mom and dad. And, and there's also this conflation of terms. We can, we are to love everyone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we have to affirm every decision that people make. Yeah, correct. And for Christians especially, you need to confront and rebuke choices that insist that children sacrifice their fundamental rights and needs for adults. That's actually a matter of justice yeah. for children. I want to get to that because you say marriage is an issue of social justice for children, not... I want that to sink in for a moment because we hear all this about social justice. We're hearing about that actually being an argument Mm -hmm. for the redefinition of marriage. Mm -hmm. You say it is a social justice issue for children. Explain. Well, just like children's right to life is a social justice issue. We are doing justice to the least of these when we defend life, when we oppose abortion. Children also have a right to their own mother and father, to be known and loved by the two people responsible for their existence. And marriage is the delivery system to protect that right. I would strengthen even further than than social justice kind of gets caught up in a lot of... It's a natural right. It's a natural right. That's right. And it's a matter of justice. Yes. You know, sometimes we say social justice, all justice is social, right? We don't need a qualifier. God doesn't qualify justice in the Bible. He just says, stand for justice, advocate for justice, especially on behalf of the least of these. So as you take this message as one who's experienced this, but at the same same time, a heart filled with love for Mm -hmm. those who are trying to redefine marriage, what response are you getting? Um, What response? (laughs) Well, the good news is the people that hear it for the first time with open minds have open eyes. Yes. And they suddenly see that actually what we do with marriage and family policy, if we get it wrong, children are the victims 100% of the time. And we can have love and empathy for the adults in those scenarios. And I actually think Christians should be the best at reaching out in love and compassion and friendship with people who disagree. But just like in the pro-life world, we say, here's the bright red line of children's rights that no matter how you feel, no matter longing, no matter what loss you experience, you cannot violate a child's right to achieve something that you want. And so that is what we need to start doing in the marriage and family debate as well. Say children have a right to their mother and father. Things like marriage are a matter of justice for children because it's the only relationship 
that unites the two people to whom children have a natural right. Redefining marriage will always be an act of injustice because it will separate a child from one of the adults to whom they have a natural right. To get to that point, when I'm talking, I'm going to talk about policymakers for Mm -hmm. just a moment. It's going to require some courage. Right. Well, standing for the most vulnerable who cannot speak for themselves, right, always means you're going to put your line, yourself on the line for them, but that's how it's supposed to go. It's adults who are supposed to do hard things for kids. And for way too long, we have valued our own social acceptance over the well-being of kids, and that needs to end. Absolutely. I mean, that is at the heart of the matter. We're more afraid, and it goes back to the opening of uh, one of the verses I shared today as we began our program you know, we have a greater fear of man than we do of God mm-hmm. and of his truth. Yeah. And we've, we've just got to return to that foundational, we call it natural law, we can call it moral law, call it whatever you want. Yeah. But every child deserves a mom and a dad. Yeah, exactly. I'm really grateful for um, Family Research Council. You're one of the few that are highlighting the harms to kids in the respect, the ill-named Respect for Marriage Act. So for that, I'm very grateful. Well, Katie, we're thankful that you are here and looking forward to um, what you have to share with us tonight. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Good to see you again. And folks, I want to encourage you to tune in as well tonight, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can go to prayvotestand.org and you can be here virtually. We'd love to have you. And of course, if you're in Georgia or maybe Alabama. Might not be able to get here for 7 o'clock, but you can be here for tomorrow morning. We'll have Governor uh, Kemp. Brian Kemp will be starting us off tomorrow morning and another great lineup. I'll share that a little bit later with you. On the other side of the break, we're going to hear from two more of our speakers tonight. Dr. Al Moeller will be joining me, as will Pastor Gary Hamrick, who was the host of last year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. We're going to be talking about Um, Well, let's say we're going to dissect a statement that came off of MSNBC. I know you don't listen to that, but we're going to bring you a clip from MSNBC when we come back from the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Good watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and we are broadcasting live from the site of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit at First Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, as I said earlier, I uh, am tickled. We have a live audience here. And again, they can't see you, but they can hear you. Let them know you're here. Let them know. They're, they're all saying, come on out. You're going to have a great time if you join us here at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Now, I don't watch much TV. In fact, I don't really watch any TV at all. And I certainly would not watch MSNBC. But I couldn't avoid some recent comments from one of their hosts, Joe Scarborough. I've actually known Joe since he was in Congress years ago. And as a part of a longer rant, the morning host stressed that Jesus never spoke about abortion. And he criticized the pro-life movement for reducing the gospel to a single issue. Here's what he had to say. As a Southern Baptist, wow. I grew up reading the Bible, maybe a backslidden Baptist, but I still know the Bible. Jesus never once talked about abortion, never once. And it was happening back in ancient times. It was happening during his time. Never once mentioned it. And for people perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue, it's heresy. Now, Joe should know better than to use a classic argument of the left. Jesus didn't say it, therefore the Bible doesn't speak to it. Well, join me now to discuss this and more. Dr. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Pastor Gary Hamrick, senior pastor, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, who hosted last year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. Gentlemen, welcome to Washington Watch. Tony, it's great to be with you. Thank you. And thank you all for being here. Looking forward, both of you will be up tonight speaking. Looking forward to your comments tonight. But I want to start with you, Dr. Moeller. Uh, you have a, a daily briefing. You talk about these types of issues. Lots of folks tune in to listen to it. Is this a classic argument of the left? It, it is. Basically, he made like three or four points and all of them wrong. So, first of all, it's a horrible hermeneutic way of looking at Scripture to say Jesus didn't talk about it, so we can't talk about it. By the way, that's often 
absolutely false. In other words, people say Jesus never mentioned same-sex marriage. No, but Jesus said that it's God's intention from the beginning right. and, and that Matthew marriage 19. be a man and a woman. And, uh, and so, so what they do is they just actually do a word search. They don't find the word so they didn't speak to it. Right. Here's a surprise. You're not going to find same-sex marriage in your concordance. Yeah. Uh, you're going to find marriage in your concordance. Uh, the, the second thing that I just noticed how he ended it, he said, that's heresy. Well, you know, heresy is a technical theological word, and it means a denial of a truth central and essential to Christianity. And uh, so he's throwing away around the word heresy there. There are a lot of heresies out in the world, but he just uses it because he wants to say, I disagree with this. But uh, the very fact that he's talking about unborn life and then dares to quote Jesus in such a way as to say that those who put a first emphasis upon defending the sanctity of human life are somehow out of balance with Jesus. You know, let me, can I tell you what I thought immediately? Yes, yeah. you can. Okay, so when, <laughs> you're, you're, when, you're, you're Elizabeth, a, yeah. when Elizabeth, with John in her womb, is visited by Mary with Jesus in her womb, John, the infant in the womb, leaps for joy. Uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. And, and Jesus was conceived in the, the Virgin Mary. That meant Jesus was Jesus, the incarnate Christ, from the moment the Holy Spirit said, let there be life. If there's anyone we could imagine that we could cite as primary evidence for the sanctity of unborn life, it would be Jesus Christ. Without question, I think the design here is what we're seeing from the president and others. It's trying to marginalize Christians and Pastor Gary. You hosted in your church, um, I don't know, I lose track of time, a month and a half ago, we had a, a big event at your church with Alliance Defending Freedom. Right. We were there celebrating life. I think this is all about trying to get Christians to step back from issues that are inherently moral and spiritual that they have called political. Yeah, and I just want to say that Joe Scarborough, he admitted that he was a backslidden Baptist. I know a decent church in the D.C. area. If he wants to come visit, we'll get that backslidden thing reversed. But um, in all seriousness, it's going to be a challenge. I think. It, it could be. <laughs> but, you know, look, you know, in regards to that whole thing, the same sex marriage argument, you know, Jesus doesn't need to address something specific when he already talked about marriage being between a man and a woman in Genesis 2.24. He quotes Genesis 2.24 in the same way. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So he's clearly pro-life. He's the designer of life. He doesn't need to qualify it beyond that. And it does seem to be this intentional agenda these days to marginalize Christians, to make Christians out to be the haters, the bigots. And, uh, you know, I try to tell people, look, we have a mission. We have to be faithful to the mission, and we can't be distracted by what the world is throwing at us. You know, we have to just be faithful to the mission. Is a part of the, the ability that the left has to, to say these things, to try to intimidate the fact that too many pulpits are not proclaiming these truths? Oh, absolutely. That has to be a, a major factor. The second thing is... There are a lot of preachers who are talking at these issues rather than biblically about them. And, uh, and so it's very easy for some Christians to be intimidated when someone says, hey, that's an extremist position. Because they well, don't know the word. The gospel's an yeah. extremist position. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The truth uh, is kind of confrontational. Right. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, and sadly, I've heard even Christians who, after we had that celebration at, at our church um, for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that... Christians are, are still saying, and it's, and it's confusing to me, 
the woke Christian is still wondering, how can we celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Because we don't want to alienate women. We want to make sure that they know that they're loved. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, for 50 years we've been murdering babies. Why can't we take some time to celebrate something that's good and right? right. It, it's just mind-boggling. The pulpits have become weak. And, uh, and I think we, some of them didn't mean it. Pastor, yeah. I think some of them didn't mean it when they talked for years about reversing Roe v. Wade. Yeah. David Brooks is on the record calling yeah. for the reversal yeah. of Roe v. Wade. Bill Crystal called for the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. But by the time Roe v. Wade was reversed, they acted like it was the result of some kind of Christian extremism. Right. And uh, that's just where we are. And it is an effort to shut down the church from yeah. conversation. But I want to go back to what you said, because I think this is absolutely fundamental is that for Christians to be able to stand in the day in which we're living, where you, you hear things from MSNBC right. uh, coming about Scripture, a pi- biblical truth, so-called truth, uh, scare quotes there, the reason they can get away with it is because we don't know the Bible. We're right. not doing, right. the, our churches are not teaching, our people are not in the Word. If we're going to defend it, we have to know it, we have to be in it. Yeah, well, as uh, we were just discussing, it, it's, it's a fundamental False premise to, to believe that somehow you have to have a verse that says in 2022 right. you're supposed to give this emphasis during the election cycle. This is Christian wisdom that has existed throughout the ages based upon the gospel and upon the inerrant and fallible word of God. The Christian church has thought through these issues because we're not the first generation to have to think about them. But we are operating from a deficit of biblical knowledge right now, which is directly attributable to a weakness and failure in the pulpit. Yeah. I, I want to, there's so much I want to, can, can we just extend this a couple hours? Because uh, I got you guys here, I want to talk about these things. But I want to go to and play a clip of President Biden in his uh, speech that he made on the steps of Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Play clip number 11. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. I believe the soul is the breath, the life, and the essence of who we are. Now, I don't agree with the president a lot, but I do believe that we are in a battle, not for the soul of the nation, but for the soul of our children, the future of our families, and for our very freedoms. No, absolutely. I think we feel it. I think any any thinking, intelligent, conscious Christian citizen in the United States senses that. I think in particular parents feel it. I, I, I sense an enormous amount of clarity coming into the minds of Christian parents right now. And uh, if you're a Christian student on a college campus, you feel the vice of this just all the time. And uh, so we are in a battle. And uh, yet, you know, you read the Old Testament, you realize the one thing Israel's always told was to be ready for when the battle cry comes. And so we're to be ready as well. So, Pastor Gary, what's the role of the church, of the average Christian? Where should we be in this battle? You know, I've overquoted Jesus on this, but if there's ever a time when the church needs to be salt and light, it is now. We have to be, and salt and light... um, when he, he talks about you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. So there's this global impact we're supposed to have, salt of the earth, light of the world. And both salt and light are penetrating elements. And we have to penetrate our culture enough to make a difference for righteousness because we want our nation to return to a place of godliness instead of godlessness. And it will only be because the church of Jesus Christ, A, preaching truth from the pulpit, B, living out our faith, uh, living out our faith with uh, genuine um, uh, Christianity instead of this 
you know, woke Christianity and, um, and getting engaged in our culture. Now, I want to put this before both of you. I doubt there's many of our listeners that are thinking this, but maybe somebody went across the dial and picked up the program and saying, all right, I, all right, I agree with you. you ought to, uh, preachers ought to preach, but just preach the gospel. Don't get involved in, in all this political stuff. You know, leave that alone. But we've come to a point in our culture where the two are intertwined because we can't preach the gospel because politics have right. invaded the church. Well, Tony, as you know, uh, Christians in the first century, even in the New Testament, were not martyred for being apolitical. Uh, they were martyred because they declared Jesus Christ as Lord. It was a political statement. It was a political statement in the face of a Roman Empire, which Caesar claimed to be Lord. And so, you know, the early Christians were tried for violating the official faith and emperor worship of Rome and thus treason and sedition. So it's interesting that the, the earliest reasons for Christian martyrdom were, in essence, political. And, uh, and I'm not saying that we reduce everything to politics in terms of electoral politics or right. legislative politics. But inevitably, that's where the policies are made. That's where the decisions are made. And so, uh, you know, if, if people say that Christians are too political, I think we'd all agree that's possible. But that's possible among people who think that politics is the ultimate deliverance. And we as Christians right, know right, politics are, will never be the ultimate deliverance. Right. But uh, often that's just a cry from people who, uh, who don't want the church to be prophetic uh, and faithful in the culture. Well, I was in your service July the 4th this year, or yeah. was maybe July 3rd, whatever that Sunday was. Yeah. I was there in your service that Sunday morning, and you preached uh, on this issue yeah. of, of our history that yeah. we, you cannot separate your yeah. faith from how you live your life. And, and we want leaders to do the same. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Virginia, and John Peter Mullenberg, you know, in Woodstock, Virginia, he gets up and he preaches about, from Ecclesiastes, about there's a time for everything, a time for peace, a time for war, unzips his uh, black clerical robe to reveal his uh, officer's uniform in the Continental Army, and led the men from his church into the 8th Virginia Brigade, which is still existing today. Mm. So, you know, here's a pastor leading the charge saying, we've got to stand up. That was the Revolutionary War. Why have pastors become so silent now. We have to speak up more clearly and loudly today, and here's the reason why. Government has now stepped into a lane of yes. morality. Yeah. They're not just policymakers in terms of like, you know, laws that uh, that are help to, help to protect society. They are now redefining things. Language is becoming obscure. Terminology is becoming obscure. And so now people don't know what to believe. So I'm finding week after week, people are coming to my church saying, we just want somebody to tell us the truth because we, we need yeah. clarity in a day of confusion. So when people say you're just getting too political, no, I'm trying to give a biblical perspective to all the political chaos and cultural chaos in our world today. So in other words, you're saying that the state has kicked down the wall of separation That's and right. invaded the space that is uh, in the realm of God. Yeah, the First Amendment was never to keep the church out of government. It was to keep the government out of the church. And the church has become passe. The church has become reluctant. And there's a lot of reasons I, I think for that. But uh, at the end of the day, we've got to get back into the game. And Tony, you know this better than anyone. But the wall of separation was invented by Thomas Jefferson in one letter, one right. time. And it's the most unfortunate metaphor in all of American yep. history. But I like to use it on the other side. I, I heard yeah. that. Yeah. I, I felt that. <laughs> I just like that. Yeah. Right. Okay, uh, we're almost out of time here. And folks, you're listening to Dr. Al Moeller and Gary Hamrick, pastor of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, two of our keynote speakers tonight. 
little uh, little plug for what you're going to be sharing tonight so people to tune in. I want people to understand that uh, that this is always about the present and the future. And uh, if you go back to 1973 when Roe v. Wade was handed down, it looked like there was absolutely no chance, no possible chance, legislative, political, uh, legislative, and judicial, that it could ever be reversed. And you know what? Most of the people who are working for it to be reversed are now with the Lord. Yeah. It, it's a long battle in a long war. And uh, yet I find encouragement from that. I just, I, just, I, I just wish I could tell so many people who worked so long and so hard that at least we have reached this point. Well, you know what? And I think it was just a, a wind of refreshment from the Lord yeah. that after 49 years, mm-hmm. if we did not grow weary in well-doing, right. we would reap. And I think right. it's a lesson to be learned for the issues that we're facing today. I want to remind Christians... And, and Christian citizens in particular, how many setbacks we had oh, uh, you know, in tremendous. this fight. There will be more. Yes. There were so many setbacks. The, the, the pro-abortion movement thought we were finished so many times, and the pro-life movement was afraid sometimes they were right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pastor Gary, what are you going to be sharing with us tonight? So Little... I'm, I'm going to be basically talking about the taboo, which is the intersection of faith and politics, and uh, you know, just really trying to challenge people to be a part of making a difference in our culture with a biblical lens to what's going on in our world. So, Well, I'm looking forward to hearing from both of you tonight. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today on Washington Watch. Honored to be with you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well and invite you to join us at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to prayvotestand.org, and you can be a part virtually of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit being hosted here at the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. They've, they've been a great host here at the First Baptist Church. Great people. We're so thankful for their hospitality. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.